Welcome to Stageworthy. I'm Phil Rickaby, the host of this podcast. This is episode 319. Stageworthy is a one-person operation, so not only do I do the interviews, I also arrange the guests, edit the show, promote it, and I also created the music. I also shoulder all of the financial responsibilities for keeping the show going. So if you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it. There are a few ways that you can do that. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And you can also leave a tip for the show by dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. I will put a link to that in the show notes, which you can find on the website or on your podcast app. But one of the most important things that you can do, even more important than rating or leaving a review or even financial support, is to share it on social media. Even a retweet will help. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. And you can find the website with the archive of all 319 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is Daniel Levinson. Daniel is the founder of Canada's oldest stage combat school, Rapier Wit. He's also been performing, directing, and teaching stage combat professionally since 1991 and is a fight master with Fight Directors Canada. He's created fights for companies such as the Stratford Festival, Canadian Stage, Second City Factory Theatre, and so many more. Here's our conversation. Have you guys been doing doing uh, uh, gun classes? Finally got things up and running again, and I'm pleased to say mm. that, uh, yeah, that's what happened. Nice. Nice. That's good. Um, so you guys... You guys are finally in doing classes in person. Have you have you had opportunities during the pandemic to sort of like come back into the room and then had to shut down? Or has have you been like shut down and only recently got started going again? I had the tiniest of window in uh, in November where I basically did a couple things. This is not including me being lucky enough to be on set, right? Or to do some Zoom work, of course, but to actually be in person with people. So we did a couple things in November, but almost immediately we had to shut down because, of course, the new greatest and tastiest of COVID hit again. So yeah, so I was stuck with it, and and uh, and uh, both my, my my wife and business partner Kirsten and I had a lot of discussions about this. And since our our mantra is about safety, it would be pretty inappropriate for <laughs> inappropriate for me to just sort of. I don't care about people's safety in open anyway, no matter how much I desperately missed people. Right, of course. <laughs> did you guys do classes, like, did you do Zoom classes? I know it's hard to do stage combat over Zoom, so so what did you guys do? So I should say this. Uh, I have peers who did Zoom classes, and more power to them. I was I was thrilled for them that they would do that. But I got to be honest, it's not what I do. I feel uh, my... My specialty about stage combat is really about 
uh, partnering and sharing energy and the intimacy of being in a room together and, and the awareness of audience and all that kind of stuff. And so because of that, uh, I held back. Now, I directed a show over Zoom. I helped uh, um, other people through Zoom as as uh, uh, as a director or, or as a facilitator or uh, even as a dramaturge. But the actual teaching of classes, I did a couple things and, and uh, it was more of demonstrations and it just didn't feel stellar. It didn't feel uh, as honest that I wanted Daniel to be, as it were. So I held back. And otherwise, I was on set for some film work, which was really neat. And of course, we, we went through uh, um, all the careful um, COVID, uh, COVID safety measures and, you know, masks and goggles. And, you know, so there was no, no messing around. But really theater and, and of course, the training of, of performers and, and the engagement on that level really had to disappear for two years. And, and it was heartbreaking. That is, I mean, it's bad enough that, that we haven't been able to, to really be in, in theaters and things like that, um, especially, but when your passion is teaching and teaching sort of requires that you're in a room together, that's a really hard thing to give up. Um, I hope that, that it, uh, that you were able to keep busy enough that you didn't feel it quite so much. I will say the time at, at, at there were moments, let's say the time felt heavy in my hands. I will not lie. And, uh, and the funny thing is that Kirsten and I, had a ton to do at physically at the wit to, to, you know, upgrade and deal with things. And we thought all we needed was time. We are liars, liars who lie because <laughs> clearly it wasn't time we needed because we didn't do it. So, so that's embarrassing as, as heck. Um, you know, oh my God, I, yeah. I just, uh, I just, it, you, when you were saying about um, not being able to be in the space, is the other thing that I realized, uh, if we were having this conversation back in 2019, and you said that you asked me, what did I think the future would hold for what we do at, at Rape Your Wit? I was really looking at people's engagement in a different way in the work. And what I mean by that is, we'll always, I hope, always get uh, performers and, and, and artists who want to understand what it is to be a performer on a physical level and come to us for that. But I was also having people, we're talking lawyers and doctors and, and people who really wanted to have some fun uh, on the floor in a safe way, but, but basically be able to in, in, in invest themselves in this really, really neat partnering with weapons thing. And I, and I felt that as much as people were enjoying interacting on the internet with uh, video games and, and group games, I really thought, a major part of our future was going to be people coming together uh, in person, learning new skills and, and being like a team and, and that sort of sharing, regardless of if they were using it for profession or not. And COVID threw obviously a, a monkey wrench in that. But I'm hoping as things really start to open up, because I feel like we're, 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 it's, um, it's a fool's errand right now to claim we're out of COVID, you know, like we're on the other side of it. I just, uh, I don't believe it. Right. You know, yeah. but um, I'm hoping that will happen. Not because I'm not super keen at working with professionals at the highest level, because that's such a gift, but it's some, there's something about working with people who are doing it for sheer pleasure, what they bring to the room. It's remarkable. Now, were you surprised that there were groups that wanted to to do stage combat as sort of team building, or was that something that you thought that you that you went out to to sort of try to find people who wanted to do that? I, I certainly didn't chase it. 
because uh, where where we and ironically we just recently got uh, called from someone asking if we do that, and of course we did it. But but in a way, when when it's structured that way, and and it's an organization and a group of people who know each other from work, there's sometimes some embarrassment, some ego. Like we've had a lot of fun, but but also it's like this is a chance to get together, eat and drink on the on the on the corporation's dime kind of thing and and so they want to let's get through this thing so we can do the other thing you know the partying part which often was <laughs> the case you know and so and i understood it there was no hard feelings about it no i'm i'm talking more along the lines of uh, of just uh, individuals or, or 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 small groups of friends joining in with the professionals you know what i mean mm. and and it's neat mm. um and and of course we've had people who claim they're not actors because they haven't had classical uh, actor training. But I'm here to tell you their understanding of narrative, creating character, sharing empathy with an audience is profound. And so mm. it comes back to my, my thinking often when I'm talking to people about, it's like singing, right? You'll mm. hear people say, I can't sing. And it's like, oh no, you can't. Yeah. And the number of people I've actually met is practically zero who are truly tone deaf. And, and that's usually a mechanical issue. Uh, within the ear versus, you know, uh, uh, you may not like how your voice sounds. And to be fair, it's not that we want to listen to everyone sing. That sounds cruel, but you know what I mean? There's a reason why we we uh, cherish specific people that we have albums of, right? But acting is such a human thing, especially when we're talking at the foundational level uh, of of inventing yourself in a story or placing yourself in a story and and mm. finding yourself reaching out to another and, and sharing, uh, um, let's call it social emotions. I mean, what is more human than that? And of course it was religion for the Greeks, right? We know that, that theater was everywhere for the longest time, uh, without it becoming sort of like, you can't see my hands. I'm doing little air quotes, classic theater that suddenly mm-hmm. becomes like hard work theater. Right. Um, and of course, one of the things I think the COVID really showed was, how much we need entertainment. Mm. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and I don't know about you, I have been watching a ton uh, of streaming services and really, mm. really amazing things I probably never would have known about from Korea, you know, uh, from the Philippines, from, you know, like stuff yeah. that, that because we live in this remarkable time with Netflix and various other uh, companies that can reach in uh, into areas across the world and bring them to a worldwide audience, amazing, right? And and it has inspired me to, you know, obviously think more about what I want to do when when creating art. You know, as you were talking about about people who 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 would come in and they'd say, "I'm not re- I'm not an actor," but then they would turn out to to have some chops. I think I think back to the fact that that as children we pretend mm. naturally. Mm-hmm. And as children, we immerse ourselves in our make-believe worlds and in, 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 in our imagination when we are playing. Totally. And then at some point, somebody says, well, that's enough of that. You have to stop doing that. That's not real. I, and so yeah, we I, stop it entirely. Totally. I had an aunt who uh, I don't need to out, uh, <laughs> out, out her, but um, I used to run around as a little kid. And when my parents were away, uh, um, she, I would stay with my aunt and uncle. 
And, um, I used to sing all the time. Like I always, like I had sort of, uh, I, I had engagement in that sort of joy of making noise and, you know, and, and she told me once, uh, and, and, and I remember it like it was yesterday. It's like, I don't know why you sing. You have a terrible voice. And that pretty much successfully stopped me from singing for like, uh, let's say 15 years. You get like, mm. I find myself in university and, and we have to sing. Cause I was, I was in a, an acting program and they want us to, of course, explore all sorts of things or, or mm. at the time. Right. And one of them was of course singing. And, and, uh, there were some really good singers in my class when I was in university, like really, really good singers. Um, and, and I felt like I shouldn't have even been there. And, uh, Kirsten, and more importantly, this sounds more important. It's funny. Uh, Kirsten's mother is a remarkably gifted pianist and loves hearing me sing and sing along with what she's playing. And, mm. and it's just a funny thing, but, but I think, and this is a whole other conversation, but what you're talking about us just stopping, it's unfortunate when someone decides you're an inconvenience or they just don't mm. want to hear you at that moment and they shut down major parts of your life. And, it's, it's, uh, it's a sad, it is a sad fact because, you know, I can remember two instances and I remember them so clearly of things that shut down creativity. I remember I used to love painting when I was very young. And I remember I would, I would paint all the time. And then I remember one time I showed the painting to someone and I said, isn't it amazing? I, I painted this lion. Isn't it amazing? And they said, it doesn't really look like a lion. Thoughtless. Yeah. Just thoughtless. And, and I stopped yeah. painting. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. and, and let's be fair. The person might've intentionally meant to be cruel, but more likely than not, hmm. you caught him at a bad moment or a thoughtless yeah. moment. Right. And, yeah. And it's, it certainly made me want to be sensitive without being um, disengaging from my, my responsibility as a teacher uh, mm. and a mentor, but it's made me sensitive to be mindful of how I say things. And I'm always working on it. Right. Cause you also want to be authentic. You don't want to sound like um, your, your, that's what I meant. Like by, by removing your, your obligations, like everything's great, you know, without, you yes. know, without, um, being honest about it. And people know, I think when you're, yes. when you're simply not uh, being authentic, but, and it's funny, I was talking to uh, a person in, in a different field who um, has to work with people with, with emotional challenges. And that idea of being able to tell someone that they need to redirect their focus or, or rethink or, or, or return to their work because it's not yet complete or they haven't reached the successful outcome they were hoping for. And you want to do it in a way that acknowledges the work they've already done, especially when they've already done mm. quite a bit of work, but at the same, and, and encourage them, but at the same time, give really specific and useful uh, feedback mm. that will allow them to then uh, grow. Right. And, yes. and uh, hearing people say, Oh, that was nice. At first, sounds yeah. nice, but it doesn't. It it, it doesn't really explain uh, what was good and what needs to be uh, looked at, right? And and so we're thinking about what is what is that? And and of course, we're also living in a time right now. I think where um, we're expressing and looking at language differently, and there is mm -hmm. a uh, a real interest in trying to step away from, let's say, the bad old days. In all, mm -hmm. in all, in all, in all schemes. And at the same time, I, I would be a liar if I said there wasn't 
a tremendous amount that I want to uh, maintain that was useful from past uh, artistic thought or or our our um, our previous endeavors, right? And and so I'm a little afraid of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as it were, you know. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I remember I was working at. I think I think people often tell truth about something, especially where theater is concerned, without really realizing it. Uh-huh. Some of the <laughs> the um, I worked at one of the really large theaters in the city a number of years ago. And uh, there were a number there were I worked a few as an usher, a few a few shows. And I sure. would I was one of my shifts was at the door. So I would like be sitting by the door or standing by the door as people were leaving. And I got to overhear overhear the things that people say when they didn't really like the show. Uh, but and, and, and probably weren't talking to someone in the show or, or involved with the show. No, but they also they paid enough money that they feel like they should feel something about the show. Mm. Like they should, they paid a lot of money for this show. They shouldn't hate the show, but they didn't really like it. And they would say bland things like, "Everybody did such a great job," mm. <laughs> which which means nothing. But no, it's true. After a while, you start to realize this is this is people. You start to see the motivation behind it, and you realize, oh, that is actually a really harsh criticism. Yeah. Well, nope, and, they're not saying they enjoyed this show; they're just yeah. commenting on how what a great job people were doing. And and I think what you said is also justifying. Like, I just it's not just treasure you spent, but time, right? And and talk about your truly finite resource. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, it's interesting yeah. you say that because I'm also thinking of the other side of that coin, where uh, I love being an audience. Right. In all sorts of, uh, in all sorts of ways, like all sorts of mediums. Like I, like I love reading. And, and as I said, uh, when we couldn't go out, Kirsten and I were watching a lot of really interesting programming. Hmm. And, and also we're talking, it doesn't all have to be fiction, right? There's some cool, dem- uh, um, uh, 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 like cooking shows. Like there's just, mm-hmm. and, and watching the art of how the really good, uh, produced things look right. Like chef's table is, is, is an education and how to, capture beauty and 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 explore through sound and and music uh all the sensory concept of of what's uh something you're supposed to be tasting right but i'm also fascinated when i'm talking about the other side of the coin is we can't have any nice things right <laughs> and what i mean by that is is it there's there's people who claim to be fans who clearly hate everything oh yes and yes. And, and that 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 horrible struggle that I want something new, but it must be exactly what it was before. Yes. But not too much exactly like it was before, because I will hate that too. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and, and I will fully admit I'm totally a fan too. And there's, and I, and again, we won't, unless you desperately want to talk about it, but there's some stuff that came out that is tremendously nostalgic because it, because it, because it's sequels to things that had a major impact when they first came out because they were the first, uh, of things and, or, or not just the first of, of a series, but like often there were stuff that changed how we looked at comedy or filmmaker, whatever it was. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to capture lightning in the bottle again. Mm-hmm. And, and you're watching something afterwards and it's funny, you exactly what you just said. So, so Kirsten and I are sitting there and, and there's this sort of, well, it wasn't what I really wanted. You, you know, it, it, it's, it's like, you know, the ice cream truck is ringing and you run out into the street and you're super excited and they have vanilla. You know, vanilla can be really great, but this is sort of the low grade vanilla. And you're like, 
yeah. out and still ice cream and I still liked it, but I kind of was hoping for sprinkles, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I've, and I'm a bit embarrassed yeah. by it. Right. Um, I used to never leave off watching a show or a movie. I, I, I had optimism right to the end, even if I wasn't liking it, that it would have something mm. better. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like it was worth it. But COVID also sort of changed me in that, like I could, I could leave things. And, yes. and it didn't feel like a betrayal or something. That's kind of funny. What's well, interesting because now if you're watching, there are so many things that you could watch. Oh my God. Yeah. That do you, is it worth sticking with this thing? This is clearly terrible. Yes. And the chances of this being redeemed at the end for all of this terrible is very slim. So is it better just to turn it off and go on to something else or 100%. do I stick with it? And, and so you're, you're, you're with your, you're talking with your friends and, and, and no doubt there's yeah. things that you all like together and you want, but I'm constantly making suggestions to other people and vice versa. It's physically impossible, especially with so many different streaming systems. So I'm going to mm. pull out my walker and talk about the old days when I, when <laughs> I was a young man. Um, the, like there are people like they had three channels, right? Like I, I remember you, you knew what you were going to watch, but you rushed home to get it. Like there was no, there's no way to record it. And if you missed it, you were going to see it. Right. And so there was a, a social experience about getting to school the next day to talk about, yeah about it. Right. And, uh, I can remember yeah. planning out, we could, we would plan out our weeks with a TV guide, right? <laughs> yeah. Be like, okay, so we're going to watch this. We're going to watch this, but we would have to negotiate about what we're going to watch. If somebody's a hockey fan, there's a hockey game on at the same yeah. time as the thing. But if you missed it, you missed it. And, and there were, w w I distinctly remember when the first VCR came into uh, my childhood ho home and we're talking, it was like, like the top went, like it came up like like uh, like a missile launcher. Like it was, it was hard. It was it was a machine, right? Versus mm -hmm. digital, you know. And 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 <laughs> he needed a slide rule for those who aren't old enough to know what a slide rule is. Look that up. Uh, they, <laughs> there was a slide rule kind of thing. I like. How did you how do you manage to to record? And you could mess it up, and you could totally record something else by accident. And this yeah. is really funny. The the that that oh my god this is totally going to get us to talk about something else but that idea now uh would you say i'm going to put you because you're reviewing okay me. i'm going to ask okay. you would you say you have lost your endurance for patience because you can to all intents and purposes get whatever you want whenever you want it out practically oh that is a tough question right? because the idea of having to wait. Now, there are some TV shows now that have returned to dropping them weekly versus they all come out, you know, so you can't all stream them at once. Uh, or the idea that films were coming out both in cinema and on demand, mm. right? Mm. And so obviously, we'll always have moments where you need to wait for things. But there was that thing I was saying that we had to, as you said, you planned. Out. It was like a military uh, 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 plan, right? Do this, this, and this. And then and that joke about you know, someone's watching the TV as you're racing to the bathroom or to the kitchen to grab a snack. It's on. Oh, yes. you like dive across the room. Yes. Yes. I can remember, I remember, you know, there's a couple of things that I, like, I can remember um, the, I remember which season it was of Star Trek, the next generation with mm. the, with Picard becoming one of the Borg and <laughs> then having to wait. Oh yes. Until the fall. 
Dun- to see how that yeah. that resolves. Like this show oh. ends is like 20 something episodes. It ends in like the the end of winter, early spring. And then you have to wait through the summer. Totally. To yeah. find out what happens. And and there was a series called The, which was for visitors. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Okay. And Oh, and, I do. And they had a huge ensemble cast. And they would just be killing people. Like someone went out for a coffee and got struck by a cab. Nothing to do with the science fiction or the monsters of the of the show, right? It was like, yeah. oh my god, and 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 you, it it was like really disorienting that you know you're invested in this character, and all of a sudden it's like, well, that one's dead. Like yeah, <laughs> like and there were these shows like that 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 really kind of threw you for a loop, you know. And um, uh, uh yeah, I I can't explain why that doesn't happen as much now i think people maybe would lose their minds like i said the the fanboys like send angry letters i i think i think that that streaming has because i think the value in streaming early on like when netflix was making its own shows was we're dropping this whole thing and now you can binge it yeah and you could sit down you can watch this whole series in a weekend whether it was orange is the new black or Mm -hmm. stranger things or whatever it was you would watch the whole thing and then that monday you'd come back and you would like everybody would talk about it Totally. Now, like I think, like you mentioned, there are shows that are dropping episodes or maybe they'll drop a few episodes right. and then make you yeah. wait and then drop a few episodes and make you wait a week. And in some ways that kind of, if you do it right, you you can build that tension in the way that we used to have. But totally. you have to properly build that tension or it's just frustrating and people will be like, well, I'm just going to wait until they're all out. And, and I'm just going to propose this to any of the listening audience seeking a doctoral thesis. I think there should be a study as to what we're talking about. Like, do are 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 our patients dropping, uh, uh, or you know, is there is there more commitment or a more beloved uh, uh, sense towards the product and the experience when you had to wait for it versus when you can just. Hmm do it all because that's the other thing i've noticed like you'll you'll see things that you were looking forward to i should say you me i was looking forward to seeing and i watch it and it didn't it didn't stick with me as long where there would be a time where i have a perfect example a hmm. long time ago i watched a french film and i mean years and years ago called city of lost children and i hmm. could not stop thinking about it for weeks it was just so just the images and 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 the storytelling it was just amazing uh, and, and, and it, that happens less now, but I will say this as a pro, as just sort of, uh, if you have not yet seen, uh, turning red, a lot of love for Toronto in that I say people should watch mm. it. It's great. I haven't, it's on my list and I'm 100% going to watch it. It's just, yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you about, uh, stage combat Please. and how you first started uh, how, what was your first exposure to it? And when did you decide that you were both going to, whether you were going to learn to be a fight director and start teaching it? What, how did that, how did that all come together? Well, I, I guess my first real, uh, experience was at university. So there had been minor little things I would have done because I was, I was acting, uh, as a kid, uh, growing up in Ottawa and it was, you know, all amateur stuff or school stuff. Right. I, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, a found child actor, uh, with, with a huge uh, career behind me or anything like that, but I really liked it. And, and in a very real way, I, I, I just followed my muse and went to York university and became, I yeah, came out of the, the I graduated with, uh, with BFA honors and, and I came out as an actor. And while there, 
we took stage combat. And uh, I graduated in 91, and it wasn't a great time to come out of school, meaning that um, there was work, but it, it was, it was, it, it just, it, the world didn't seem flush, right? And I realized I did not want to wait for the phone to ring. So I started, but we're talking card table start of Rape Your Wit. And I thought I was going to do some comedy, hence the Rape Your Wit. And I would do a little fighting and I was doing writing because I, I was, uh, I'm writing now as well, but I was writing at the time. And in a very real way, it was a calling in that it found me. I would be attached to projects like, like, like really small shows for the fringe or, or, you know, we're doing, you know, back room theater, you know, stuff, stuff, small stuff. And, uh, lots of Shakespeare because it's free, <laughs> you know, and, and therefore there were a lot of fights. And, and despite the fact that I came out of school with other people all trained the same way, uh, I think people really liked how I treated them when creating fights. They liked the stories I created and, and the creativity I brought to, to character meeting violence, meeting the story and progressing story. And I found myself doing more and more of it. And then in 93, uh, the person who taught me at York was Bob Seal and JP Fournier, who's out West, uh, decided they were going to start Fight Directors Canada. And I was asked with a small handful of people to be the first class at the time what was advanced. Things have changed and grown a lot since then because we really were inventing it on the fly, meaning all of us, like, and, and, and all of us who participated in, in the creation of this thing called Fight Directors Canada. Mm. But uh, it helped me a lot because I was, at that point, uh, working on what I had learned was very much self-taught. I had a fantastic uh, uh, friend, Simon Fond, who uh, presently is, is now in BC and he's, he's, he's a fight master. He's amazing. And, and so I worked with him and another, uh, another excellent friend, Mark Huseman. So I had really excellent people who were peer teaching with me to allow me to grow. But it, it's like all things like going to university as an example is an opportunity to do a ton of stuff all at once. That's what FTC mm -hmm. did for me where I got to meet a lot of people and, and not so much, uh, often learning is not so much about picking up other people's work, which is true as well, but more importantly, seeing what is you and what isn't you. Does that make sense? Mm. Right? Yeah, it does. Uh, uh, and, and so there was a ton of stuff that I, I took and went, this is really neat and other people do it well and I'm proud of them, but it's not me. Right. Mm. Other things like, wow, you know, I really see, I think clearly what this is and how we should approach it and other people are having challenges with it. I think, I think we'll do that. So an example is I really like what we call found weapon or environmental weapon, where you're using mundane objects in scenes where frequently normal people lose their minds and go violent, right? As opposed to classic fight scenes, Hal and Hotspur, let's say, or, uh, right. or, or you, you know, in Romeo, the, the various fights that are clearly fight set pieces that are important for the story. Um, and also it married to my, my pleasure at, at creating, uh, writing and creating the whole entire scene about it. Cause, cause in a very real mm -hmm. way, I also was directing, right? Not just fight directing, but directing. So right. as this progressed, I really bit the bullet in, um, 
uh, I want to say 96, basically I moved into what could laughably call a studio, which meant like it was, it was really small, but I had a space now because <laughs> otherwise I was going into, you know, church basements and back, back, back right. rooms and schools and, and, and going wherever people would, would hire me. But this would allow me to start planning and, and then my next studio was double the size and that allowed a lot more growth. And, and, and in that place, I really was teaching uh, in a way that I started feeling good about and thinking I was helping people where the first point I was like, figure out what it was. I, what was my voice, right. As a teacher. Mm. And, and, and then, mm. um, and then the best thing in the world to ever happen to me was uh, running into uh, a friend of mine from school named Kirsten, who I knew from university, who had gone to Japan for five years, came back and completely surprised the two of us started dating and now we're married. Boom. And she really helped me progress to the studio we're in now. Uh, we moved into just a much better space. And she brought a professionalism to the office that I simply was unable to do because I had so many balls in the air and, and quite frankly, she was so good uh, at, at, at finding that quality. And, and so I really have to give credit where credit is due. Mm. And it also, by this point, I had taught so many people that I now had co-teachers I could hire. And the day of being the sole person in the room was gone mm. and it was fantastic. And, and, mm. and the whole world kept growing, which was really neat. And that's how I found myself here. So uh, at risk of like saying the thing that, you know, as everyone always says, I am standing on the shoulder of giants and, and, and it's my peers who make me great. And, and I have a community. And, and I, I will say this going back to what we were talking about with COVID, the single most painful thing wasn't the loss of income, wasn't uh, that horrible artist question that we all have, like, is this my last thing I'll ever work on? Like, like uh, am I no longer... Um, wanted, you know what I mean? No, my, mm. my, the single most painful thing was the nourishment you get from watching your, 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 your peer artists create amazing things that you could never have imagined. And you being mm. able to participate in that was like losing a limb, mm. which sounds extreme, but I, I realized how much of my social life was part of my business life. And, and not being near these really creative, intelligent, engaging people was really hard. And the, and the irony I would say is if, if you asked, I think I'm, I'm more of an introvert. I have this, I'm a very successful introvert. I play an extrovert, you know, but, um, it was on one hand, COVID has, in, has allowed me, unfortunately, to really lean into all my bad habits staying in, you know, not doing the things I should be doing mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. But I also realized that despite the fact when I'm teaching or fight directing, I'm using performance energy and therefore am exhausted at the end of whatever that is, I really missed it. Mm. And, and uh, seeing people again, it's more than one person when we finally saw each other uh, mm. in the studio, in the space, a crushing hug, because they were, and, and tears, like, like the sound so over the top, yeah. I know it's, it's like, you did not survive the sinking of the Titanic. Right. But we lost something and I'm yeah. hoping we, we have found it again. Um, 
and and it has been a terrible two years for a lot of people. I'm not going to claim on I myself. I mean, it really has. Know, but yeah, yeah. I just like I'm lucky because um, I have family and I have uh, Kirsten and I have a cat who is. If you hear snoring, it's she's beside me right now. Mm-hmm. Alice, who <laughs> who is 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 like the perfect life uh, study on on how to deal with all sorts of things that I share as a teacher and 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 a, and a director because she's like. Uh, She's always doing something interesting. But the idea that two years could just go, it, it's horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I physically remember, you know, for, for most of the pandemic, um, you know, the only person that I hugged or was really in physical contact with was, was my girlfriend. And I remember distinctly the first person that I hugged that was not my girlfriend, old friend, I saw them. We were all vaccinated finally and, yeah. and able to be in the same space safely. And I and the and being able to hug this person was like there were tears because I think and I think a lot of us experienced that. I don't think it's over the top to say so. No, no. And and then as we were easing into classes, no surprise, I was focusing like what we do is so in contact, so physical. I tried doing some sword and spear work. And, and staff work, which gives some distance, but it just wasn't, people weren't on, they weren't ready for it. What I did find people wanting to do and sign up for was I do firearm training, both mm. getting comfortable holding a gun when firing a blank. Cause mm. for a lot of people, that's really intimidating and off putting mm. and uncomfortable. And whether you use blanks or not in a project, knowing what it felt like is useful, like to, you know, yeah. w- what a gun going bang is versus, uh, CG or, or you, you simply miming the movement. But on top of it, mm-hmm. we, we have other classes where like, what are you, what are you supposed to look like when you are playing a character that is proficient, if not excellent at movement right. of a firearm and, um, playing video games as an example of seeing these shapes that we're starting to really recognize what is someone supposed to look like versus, uh, your instinctual, thing that often sadly is wrong. Right. So, and leaving guns for a side, but like you watch people, let's say, uh, who've never worked with uh, tools before and watching someone swing a hammer, you realize, wow, that's actually, it's both, uh, instinctive. Most people can kind of get most of the shape, right. But watching someone do it well and realize Mm. there's actually an art to it, like everything we do. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to what we were saying before, I guess, about singing where, um, and acting. I think the vast majority of us can do it, but the people we wish to watch obviously have that extra special something. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that includes the ability to create the look that we need to be able to suspend our disbelief and really participate as audience. Cause, go, cause it's funny. You were talking about things that were terrible to watch an example, I can't remember what it was, but I'm watching something going, that person is not a lawyer or that person is not a doctor. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Like you just, I don't believe for a second someone would put a scalpel in that person's hand. And then no, it's much worse when you're talking about that is not someone who can sword fight. No. And, and and they cut between the actor who has the right look and is obviously the star and the stunt person who's like super physically proficient. And you're just like, wow, they're not even, they're not even the same height, you know? (laughs) No, like it's, it's so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so Kirsten, I I think about, I think about, 
I think about that, you know, the that that the the big duel in in the Princess Bride, for example, yeah. where the two actors worked for the entire shoot. Yes. To yeah. look like they were proficient, like like really good sword fighters. And it's why everyone loves that scene, regardless if exactly. it is the most complicated or 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 um whatever this means, whatever the best fight scene is actually, you know what I mean? But it's just a perfect example of a scene that really speaks to us, right? Um, but you, you, do you know the the uh, Mystery Science Three Thousand series of movies things? Yes, They're big, like where the people watch and they and they and they basically make fun of the movie, right? Well, yeah, I hate to admit it, but despite the fact that I say I love being an audience and just being an audience, yeah, that happens too when I get together with some friends and we're just tearing into something <laughs> that's terrible. Um, but to be fair, um, we also learn a lot from terrible, and I think you know yeah. what the sin is. This is actually. I'm dying to hear your opinion on this. Things can be fantastic or they can be terrible and still be worth watching. It's the mediocre in the middle that makes me angry that I don't want to watch. Yes. Because the terrible is like, it's like jaw droppingly. I don't know what's going to happen next. Yes. Yes. There, the thing is like with both, for me, the like if something is 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 that terrible, like yes, you watch it, you're on the end, edge of your seat. Like, how bad is this gonna gonna be? Like, I don't know. Like, if it was a staged version of 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 the room or whatever, and <laughs> or you know the music, something like that. But like like if you were when something is mediocre or it's just not working, yeah, that's when like my instinct is is just to get so angry like especially yeah. when there's clearly a lot of money behind it i'm often like why is this having this much money behind it and and it's not working and then i have to i i have to sit back and 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 say okay so if you're going to sit through this which obviously you are you your job now is to identify why is this not working yeah yeah what's missing and- why is it not working <laughs> make it constructive and it's interesting too, uh, and this is going to happen to everybody who's listening to this, regardless of their age, but you're going to reach a point where um, you ha- are, it's not so much that you're old enough, but you're experienced enough uh, as an audience member to start recognizing well-used tropes, right? And and it's like watching that famous, like the monster movie thing where, okay, so the person's going to, they person, they open the bathroom mirror and when they close, there's the mm-hmm. monster behind them, dun, dun, dun. Like, mm-hmm. and and that's why it's such a gift when you are, in fact, yeah. uh, knocked, off, knocked off center by something that's excellent or terrible, yeah. right? And, and, um, and it's such a gift. Because what, what we're talking about, I always say that the, the thing, our goal is so simple as artists is to create an emotional feeling in, in the audience. And it could be as simple as getting a laugh, right? Uh, and that is a gift. When, when people aren't engaged, then that's that feeling you were just exactly talking about. Where you're just like, hmm, you know, yeah. I want to, th- I want to throw throw one of my one of my uh, least favorite tropes that happens in so many movies. Oh, please, at you. Um, it's when the best friend is introduced, mm-hmm. best friend of the hero or whatever. And as soon as you see that friend, you're like, well, obviously that guy's the bad guy. Totally, yes. 100%. And then when it happens. They treat it like it's it's like a revelation. Who could have seen this coming? And the entire audience is like, well, I did yeah, yeah. because you made it obvious. And to make it even worse, even if they've done everything they could to smokescreen it, right? They've really pulled every cinematic and writing trick. You're like, 
that is a well-established character actor mm-hmm. and they haven't yeah. given that character actor much to do. Yeah. That's the bad yeah. guy. Yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. So, so I actually really liked the first Wonder Woman movie, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and spoilers, if anyone hasn't seen it, let's just say the big bad guy. I'm like, I know that has to be the bad guy because he's such a good actor and he hasn't done anything yet in this movie. Right. And I, I knew immediately who the bad guy was going to be because it had to be. Right. And you're just like, oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it's it's because I do. Yeah, I it, do. It, it, it's the reveal. Right. Um, yeah. And I can't. Oh, I can't remember what. There's an interesting movie. Is it the calendar man? Calendar boy. It, it was from some time ago. And they finally hmm. capture the serial killer. And it's no one you've seen in the movie earlier. And the hmm. lead actor, literally, the character looks at him and goes, I don't know who this is. Like they figured out pattern and they, you know what I mean? They, <laughs> they, they trapped the person, but it wasn't like um, what we're used to in watching, like the various procedurals right. where you either, there's two ways they do it, right? Either the audience is in on the beginning. That was the old style with Quincy mm-hmm. and, and those mm-hmm. shows where you watch the murder happen and you're, you're wondering how Columbo was going to figure it out. Then there's the law and order thing where you know only what is released by the the discovery, the police and the district attorney, right? right. And, and so therefore, you have a very different moral feeling about solving this crime, right? That you Because you, when you're watching the Quincy one, you know the person's guilty and, and, and you right. need closure to see them. Where the other one, uh, the, the law and order stuff, especially the old ones, was incredibly, in a good way, dissatisfying watching what you felt was, oh, that person was guilty, but they got away with it. But there was no proof. You never saw them do the crime. Right. And, right. and I think this is really valuable when I'm approaching mm. what we're trying to create with stage. I know we're not even talking about stage combat. I'm a terrible, <laughs> terrible person to interview, clearly. But, um, but I want, in a good way, to have the audience not confused or, or, or to drive them away or no, but you want them challenged. So they feel like they're participants and it makes some really interesting on our side challenges. So for mm. instance, um, we, I think as creators of violence, the illusion of violence have almost carte blanche to do whatever we wish provided we do it in a way with the audience's acceptance. Does that make sense? So there are really horrible things that, that can happen and if the mm. audience have bought in, they're with you. So, for instance, again, using classic Shakespeare, um, the murder of Lady uh, Macduff and her children is epically horrible and is clearly there for a reason. And you can portray it either realistically or not show anything. But if you do it realistically, whatever that means, um, the audience is there because they want to have the outcome where the murderers or, or Macbeth who sent the murderers are punished, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's something really amazing using, actually, I got another one, the, the movie alien, when it comes out of the stomach that at the time when that movie came out, people practically fainted like, and, and yes, now, yes. you know, and now it's like, Oh yeah. You know, cause we like, we're, we're pushing the envelope as creators all the time, but that monster gets destroyed. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a, there's an outcome to that that is earned by your, your like, I want to see this thing punished where there's other monster movies where the monster kind of wins and walks away. Yeah. And it's, and it's the sequel yeah. machine, right? They want to make all these sequels, you know? 
And so when I'm creating a scene of violence, I want in a good way for the audience to either be rooting for the hero or to be so disgusted with how the villain has gotten away with it because there's usually more to it, right? Like the play continues into uh, the event of whatever the outcome is going to be. And it's also okay to leave at the end a sense of complication, uh, uh, sorry, uh, that the idea is complicated. So so that the play's like, I, I don't know who was right and who was wrong. Hmm. The pendulum has been swinging and I, like, this is all excellent stuff, but the audience has to buy into it. If the audience is left, as I said, confused, you've lost them. But if you, if you yeah. do something and they're like, that was just gross and, 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 and gratuitous, again, you'll yeah. lose them, right? But it's so interesting that if you have them along the way, in a good way, that's what I mean where you can do almost anything, right? And and this, do you follow what I'm saying? I do, I do. Because I think one of the things that, that the benefits of stage combat on the stage, in the theater, as opposed to on screen, is because it is happening mm. in front of an audience, because the violence is happening and they're in the room, they're like physically in the room. There's, it's not on screen. This isn't something that is that it, we know has been recorded. We're not separated from Polished, it. That they are yeah. more there, yeah, completely there. I remember yeah. years ago I did I did a, a production of uh, of Macbeth and I was I was one of the murderers. Mm. Um, and uh, Lady Macduff had a baby, uh. and we. Um, had that we were going to obviously she knew that she was we had played it like she knew she was going to die she knew her son was going to die but I took her baby from her and and held the baby as though you know don't worry your baby's going to be safe and I looked her in the eye and then I gave it a twist and we had like in the in the 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 the, the swaddling were like two pieces of balsa wood oh and the horrible. audience in a way just that an audience wouldn't horrible. react on film they just shudder yeah and make an audible noise in a way that 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 people don't when it's filmed violence and it's and it's interesting that right because uh on one hand uh film can put you could put the audience's eye within millimeters of the event where theater Mm -hmm. you really have to fight if you think about it to keep the attention where it's needed Right, because mm-hmm. you can look anywhere in theater, right? Like they're, yeah. they're inevitably, especially when you have a crowd scene. You can look, like, boy, I'll tell you that servant's super interesting. Look at that servant, mm. <laughs> you know. So you have to yeah. do it really right, you know. Um, I would say one of the challenges, and I've talked about this with my friend Todd Campbell, who's a, another fight master who works with me and is in Toronto. Uh, listen to me, name drop. But um, <laughs> uh, the challenge is our perception as audience at what the speed of violence is in because of film we have been trained the fights are very very fast indeed Mm -hmm. and there are human beings i've worked with them i've seen them where the fights live can be very very fast however not everyone can do it they may do an excellent job they just they're not moving at 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 um because there's lots of tricks in film to make things faster editing Mm -hmm. uh a base taking out every fifth frame when they actually filmed on film, uh, cranking the camera speed. There's all sorts of great tricks for making where you are literally dealing with the sweat and the breath in the mm. space when it's live. With, I'm with you on that. And I find that super exciting. And if you ever watch a fight 
live and then watch a recording of that. So for instance, on, on my YouTube video, uh, uh, channel, I, I have locked camera, single shot fights because the idea is to give mm-hmm. people an idea of the entire shape. So, so that future participants can see what's proper stance and movement and stuff. The fights inevitably look a bit slow, but they were much faster when you were in person. Right. There's something yes. about the the arm's length that a recorded medium does. Mm-hmm. That's as I said, a single lock thing really uh, does us a disservice of what we think speed is, and and that yeah. and it's a challenge. And so sometimes, let's Daniel, what fights don't you like? So in a superficial <laughs> kind of way, I I don't like movement that's disengaged from either intent or desire, right? And I don't like things that are fast for fast sake that don't, because it, because the thing is we still are human beings and the performers who are just going as fast as they can be, unless they are remarkable and they are. And, and I, like I said, there are some remarkable performers who can do everything you want that fast, but most people are human beings who are like, I don't want to hurt someone. And so all of a sudden the, the fight becomes a fight sort of, in between the people and not with each other. And, and it, and it's, it stops being, and again, whatever this means real, you know, and, and real is very, very flexible. Like you can have something clowny and you can have something, uh, kitchen sink with real. Right. But what I mean is it, it, it lacks an authenticity that the character means what they're doing, that their intent mm. is there and that there's a danger to the character. Oh, and that's the other mm. thing. When I was talking about the audience buying in, if for a second the audience thinks in a live performance the performer is going to get hurt or was hurt, you have lost them. That's the thing. That is the fascinating thing is they were they can they will suspend their disbelief totally. up until the point somebody actually gets hurt. Yeah. And rightly so. Right? Yes. Um yes. the it's interesting. And 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 I talk about this when 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 teaching and directing all the time is that audiences are not stupid, right? They might not have the training or awareness of what we're doing. So we sometimes have to, this sounds really condescending. I don't mean it to, but like you're educating them to understanding the world you're creating or, or what this fight means, because mm. you might be using uh, science fiction weapons or things that like they have no knowledge of. Right. But they absolutely know what's believable, what isn't and what's connected and what isn't. Right. And I'm, uh, there was a period of time, it's happening less now. Well, actually, maybe it's a COVID thing. But there was a period of time where I would get what can only be described as extremely uh, <laughs> upset phone calls of, please come in and fix our fights. We're opening in a week and we didn't think we needed a fight director or something like that, right? And and and, right. and, and it was like, are you, you're, you're kidding me, right? You're, you're literally doing, again, Romeo and Juliet, you didn't think you needed a fight director. And I show up right. and and it's like, you're slapping each other or slapping each other's blades and you're running around the room. And I'm like, why didn't you just kill them there? Their back was to you. Like, what are you yeah. doing? Right. And I'm, of course yeah. I don't actually say it like that. Cause I want them to succeed and I want to, them to listen to me. And if you make people feel small and stupid, uh, they're not really can do, you know, there's no, they're not conducive to your suggestions. Right. But right. my inner, my inner voice, right. That is an absolute fucking snob when it comes to what I do and my craft um, is, is appalled. Right. And yeah. And Oh, though, you know what? I absolutely have to say this 
for people who are interested in being fight directors or fight teachers is something one must always remember is what you know took you time to, to get and, and, mm-hmm. and develop and, and, and create. And, and the people you're meeting, especially who are novices, don't know what you know. And, yeah. and I have certainly seen teachers or directors belittle or abuse the people they're working with because for, they don't have this inner knowledge that this other person has and, right. and makes them feel dumb. And it never works. Right. No. You know, ever. And, and it's, it's upsetting. The other thing, you know, how uh, people talk about fake it till you make it. Right. And, yeah. and we all bought into it. We all bought into it at the top of our careers. And I'm sure people still do. But as I get older, the more I realize that that can be very detrimental because what you might be faking are just bad habits. Yeah. Or, or what you think is the performance uh, quality technique, whatever you think you're, and all you're doing is a pale, pale reflection or photocopy. That photocopy um, exercise. I don't know if you've ever done it, where you take an image and you photocopy and photocopy and photocopy, and the idea is mm-hmm. you eventually get something that is so a- away from the original, right? And and yeah. it happens a lot, right? Where I'm asked to give my feedback on something I haven't worked on or, or, you know what I mean? Because, because there's people who right. want me to, uh, make suggestions of how they move forward in their career, stuff like that. And, and I, as I said, I want to be, uh, honest, but also productive and kind perhaps is, is a good word to use. But you know, when you're looking at something and you're thinking, I, I don't think you understand what you're doing. And mm. other people are training with you or you're directing them and you're, you're not helping them because you're leading them astray. And this might be coming from a good place. You think you're right. You think you're, and by the way, this sounds incredibly arrogant. I have no doubt. There's a bunch of people who know me <laughs> who their eyes are rolling. Listen to Daniel Levins and hoity toity knows everything. But, um, but there are some things I, I, I've, I've somewhat learned and understood and perhaps have a, a better understanding than others, maybe. Right. But there's something very sad, I think, uh, of missed opportunity. Does that make sense? Mm. You know, yeah, it does. And, it and does. I talked about really the resource that's finite is time. And it's, it breaks my heart, especially now with COVID people using time poorly and ending with a result, be it training or, or, or a production of, 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 of mm. art or, you know, whatever it is. And you have this, this thing that's okay, but it could have been great. Uh, but you needed to invest more into it, either your time and you know, or or you yeah you and you needed to be humble and allowed other people to help you and listen to them. Two things, two things that I think people always think they don't need to put a lot of time into until it's too late. One is stage combat, always, and the other is marketing their show. These are oh the two things that people tend not to think about until yeah. it's far too late. And to be totally fair, the marketing thing is almost none of us are marketers. It, it's just like of producers. Course. It's like, like I, I entered this profession because I'm a creative. I don't want to produce, even though I have to, uh, you know, all the time. Mm. Or, or, or um, so again, I was saying Kirsten has been such a huge 
resource um, and 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 really to all intents purposes has been my general manager. Uh, if, if if I take the let's say if my title is artistic director, she's general manager. But when it comes down to it, though, um, I still have to do the scheduling and figuring out who who to hire and 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 mm-hmm. and and um, it's exhausting and it's and I'm not the best at it except. It, oh my God, I'm just like democracy. I'm the worst at it except for everyone else kind of thing. No, like, like someone has to do it, right? And, and why would yeah. anyone produce for somebody else when it's such a tedious, awful experience and there's no money, right, in it? No way to make ends meet. And so I'm not surprised with what you said. But about stage combat, what frustrates me with that is, uh, and again, I'm totally out on a limb here, but I think about, our peers in other arts, right? Like if you're a musician, you, you work with your instrument every day. And, and if you're a dancer, all the dancers I know go to classes all the time. And if you're a painter, you paint. If you're a writer, you write. Now there's people at home, right? Going, I wish I could paint and write. I hate myself. Please don't take that from me in a negative way. But actors are one of the few artists i know that you know they're making ends meet and they're and they're bartending or 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 they're um uh, waitering and then it's like and now i'm ready to play hamlet you know right and and it kills me because uh uh obviously there's lots of actors who take training but let's just say frequently when i'm called in to work on a show the actors do not have the level of physical training Hmm. you want to see right so they they can really run with all aspects of the show so i'm gonna another name drop i have uh uh friends of mine uh, on the west coast a fair of honor uh jackie nathania and they are exceptional exceptional in in almost everything they put their hands to and they they shame me with how little i deal with physical uh, building of myself because they, they are, they, they, they walk the walk, they talk the talk and in building their physical company, their performance company, they really train with their people and put them to a place where they can physically perform what they wish to, to portray. Mm. That is not the norm. Uh, another really excellent peer uh, in Mississauga, Colleen uh, has frog in hand again, really puts uh, her money where her mouth is and trains and trains and trains and trains and brings people along and, and puts them, uh, helps them to a place where they can really capture the quality of movement she's looking for in her dance company. And, hmm. and I'm, and I get it for my other peers who are actors who look, I need to make a buck. I don't have money for classes. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But when the time comes and the bell rings and, and you're going to be, playing someone who has a very special set of skills, you know, and has to be Mm. able to accomplish these things. Um, It's heartbreaking how often we don't see it. And by the way, it leads to a statement someone once made to me, which made my heart sink. And it's Mm. never quite come back. (laughs) The person said, Oh, I hate stage combat because it always looks fake. And I looked around Mm. the room to the, to the, to the person, to people he was talking about Nobody in the room had trained Mm -hmm. and I was given, I don't know, four hours, six hours that really, really needed 20. Like we have that statement about for every 
minute of performance time. It's a mantra, right? Every minute of performance time, mm-hmm. you, you, you should have 10 hours if you're highly trained and you need actually 30 if you're learning and training. But no one gives you 30 mm-hmm. hours. 30 hours is the entire rehearsal process now for a play, right. practically, right? And I get it because I'm not, I'm not a fool, but we're also allowed to be a bit utopian in, in, our, in our passions and our art, right? And uh, that really was what, I think in, in a nutshell, why I started Rape Your Wit. I wanted a place mm. for people to come and train. COVID, as, as you know, uh, really knocked the legs out from what we were doing in that we had drop-ins where people could come in weekly and, it, and, and you know, come in for a couple hours and learn a new skill or, or, mm. or re, reinvest in a skill they had. And, and I also, what I loved, Kirsten and I were able to hire uh, all the teachers in town and give them a chance mm. to keep their skills sharp in, in directing and teaching. And, and, um, the whole goal was to, to create a community of people that would help each other shine, right. And grow. And, and that's the goal going forward. Um, but it's a big world, right. And I know that not everyone has had the time yet to train. And, And I, and I guess I sound harsh, but it, it breaks my heart to be in the audience and see someone clearly uncomfortable as a person, not as a character, mm. get through the fight bit so they could get back to the acting, which if right. you can't tell, brutally sarcastic on my part, because the fight bit is the most honest part of the character because you've stripped <laughs> yes, away yeah. all of the social nicety and it's them raw, right? Yeah. I think that that we still I think we still do see people who I mean I think I like to think we see it less but that's probably more the circles that I move in uh very it's it's less likely that we see people who are like oh yeah this is we don't need a fight director for this we're just going to I'm that. hoping or, that's you know going away yeah our cousins yeah. who do intimacy design uh have had mm-hmm. huge huge uh, success in getting people to take them seriously and to bring them mm-hmm. in uh and and to uh, though I'm sure if if we were talking to someone at this moment, they'd say, now they don't give us enough time either. But right. I'm still struggling to get the time I think needed because there's the conflict between like just we need them on their feet. They need to work on their lines. Mm-hmm. We need to get the blocking mm-hmm. in. Uh, runs, 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 runs so they can get it working. And then, you know, God help us. We got to do the tech. And, and it's like, this takes forever and we have to do entrances and exits yeah. and lights. And like anyone who's never been in the profession um, and then is hypercritical, doesn't understand. And this sounds like I'm talking against everything I just said a moment ago, but doesn't understand everything <laughs> we had to do. So, so again, with film too. So, so Kirsten said to me about how sad she feels when people just have the knives out for a show or a movie and really show a lack of awareness or respect for all the stuff they did to get it there. Mm-hmm. And even if it isn't your cup of tea, cause I've, I've seen many things that I went, I can recognize the art in this, even if it doesn't speak to me. Right. And there, and I know for a fact, there's some movies I really appreciate that other people mm-hmm. don't. Right? right. But I'm seeing, the craft put into it maybe. And, and Mm. I've been there, right. Where you're like, Oh my God, 
you know, just give me one more minute, one more. Oh, okay. It's not going to happen. And, and I'm not an editor. Like, like I've, I've put together some, some videos, some small stuff during COVID just, but I'm not an editor. And, and, and the painful tooth pulling it took for me to get what I got out, let alone trying to get a much higher quality product, much like you'll get because you're going to do a masterful job on what we're doing. Um, you know, is like, I, I I'm trying to, to give people the benefit of the doubt, despite the fact what I said about mediocre, right? I think there's, there's something about the, the, when we are, um, you know, those, those moments when they don't give, say, for example, the stage combat, the time. And, you know, we've all been in those situations because there's not enough time. Yeah, totally. You know, but, but we also like at a certain point, you also knew that you were doing Romeo and Juliet, yeah. which has a number of scenes with people waving swords around, um, which if you're really respectful of your actors, you know that there is a great potential yeah. for somebody to be hurt. A hundred percent. And, and quite frankly, the audience is going to leave with the memory of the physicality long before, much longer than they, they have in other aspects of the show frequently. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and more than once I, I've, shown up for rehearsal and been told, Oh, we're just finishing this one thing. And I'm watching the minutes turn into 20 minutes, a half hour. And I'm like, I really need this time, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's, I I remember a director once telling me that I think your fight, I think you're too, um, what's the word he used? not optimistic, but he was, he was like, basically, uh, he, he, you know, your fight was, was too long and too hard. Uh, and, Mm. and I appreciate what he was saying, but at the exact same time, we had booked uh, 15 hours for me to work with the actors from training all the way up to polish in the tech. And I had only gotten six of those hours. Right. Not that I knew that was going to happen because every time I came in, something would have happened. And so I kept showing up without having actors or not having the floor or not having the weapons. And, and so it was a series of things, but being told that, and also from my side of it, knowing full well, um, at at risk of sounding defensive, my, the length of fight and the, and, and the challenge of the fight was appropriate to the show and to the actors in the show. It right. simply was sabotaged by the reality uh, that the time wasn't given. And, and also that the, you knew for a fact, you could tell if you were there with me that um, the actors weren't doing their homework either, right? right? Going home and working their lines and working and like, and doing the, the mental casting of like walking through the fight by yourself. Uh, and I remember once having uh, an equity actor tell me like, well, I'm not being paid for that. Right. Which I understand, <laughs> but um, we all do things to prepare for our lives. Right. Uh, like I remember hearing about someone talking about the, the, the argument practice that people often do in the shower when they're going to go ask for a raise or the, like these right. things that, you know, we actually do it, all the time and and this actor in a rather uh dismissive way saying that to me when i basically told them that they weren't ready 
You know, like they weren't, they just weren't where they needed to be. Mm. And, and of course the worst being that their partner would clearly had done it. Right. You could right. see that they had put in extra time. Um, and, and it's, and there was a lot of projection on, on, well, that guy, he's hard to work with. Yeah. Where, where it's like, well, he is busting his tail for you. you yeah. Know? The thing that gets me about that statement, you know, I'm not being paid for that is I, that person is, is, is likely working on their lines in those hours. I, right? I would think so. I would hope so. Because yeah. speaking as someone, so I'm very dyslexic. And, and so I really, when I was working as, as an actor and, and I, and I had to make a choice, right? Like all things, some people do many, many things, but to focus and I think really craft what I wanted to be, I, I had to make a decision and I decided to focus on fight directing and instructing. And so I did much less acting, right? But I had to put in the hours. Otherwise, I never would have gotten off book, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and we've all experienced the actor's nightmare. Don't yes. know my lines, yeah. don't know what play I'm in, right? And, and I cannot imagine uh, purposely doing that to yourself. Right. Though that's interesting. Have you worked with an actor who insisted things always had to be fresh. So their, their thinking of acting was always about reacting to spontaneous right. events. So I'm not talking about improvisation, mm. which is amazing, right? That's something else, or, or, or games of improv and stuff like that, or performance improv. I mean, literally, like, they would always change blocking, uh, and, of course, makes it impossible for fighting, right? And, yes. And the yeah. idea that, that this is the only way they felt alive as an actor, totally neglecting all the other aspects of what it is to be in a partnership when performing, be it with your right. other actors or with the audience, right? And and it could be a shit show because this person just might not have felt it that night. Have you had that experience? Yeah. Have you been on stage with one of those? I've people? had, I've absolutely been on stage with one of those people. I've I've I've, I've definitely done that. I've also had on the uh, the other side of that where somebody is, I don't know if it's over rehearsed, but there is no spontaneity in anything they do. It's like when it is it is it is places they press play on the mm. tape recorder and everything is exactly the same as it was the night before so there you and find them that rigid is, they're so rigid and yeah. also like they're not actually reacting to anything cuz acting you know it's both it's like totally. acting and oh, reacting no, it's, and it's one of the reasons why I think yeah. we find it so magical being in it yes. and also being audience right uh, and as much as, and I love film and I love television, like I love recorded medium, but there is something super, so human about the live event. And I think that's one of the reasons why I don't think we're ever going to see the death of live sporting events, live musical events, live theater, because people want to experience that high, that risk of the immediate happening in front of them. Right. That's super cool. Right. And, and I, 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 I remember the mousetrap in Toronto that was going on and on and on for years. Yes. Yes. And someone I knew who was in it said there was another person who had been in it for forever and they would kind of stand on line uh, on stage, mouthing the lines of other actors. Like they were almost (laughs) like, like a zombie. Right. And, and it's, 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 it's um, there's an acting exercise. How, how's, what's the name of it? Where you basically say a word over and over again until it loses its meaning and then rediscovers its meaning. Yes. You know, so this yeah. guy was like living his life that way, you know? And, yeah. and that's, that's kooky. That's gotta be very kooky. 
Yes, absolutely. On the other side of that, I, I, I remember hearing a story about somebody who was in the in the mousetrap. I don't know if it was the Toronto one or the 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 one in, in London hmm. who've been doing it for so long, but they kind of weren't all there. And so you never really know which part of the show they were going to be in. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. How's that for a heart attack? Uh, oh, yeah. my God. I don't, even want, I don't even like to think about that. Oh my goodness! But uh, Dan, we are out of we are out of time. I want to thank you for this this great oh. conversation. This has been this has been wonderful. Uh, thank you so much. It was a huge pleasure. Thank you for having me.